Greetings, listeners of the Latin Prayer Podcast. My name is Dylan Drago, and welcome back for another episode. It is the third week of Advent, and there is lots to be joyful about. We just celebrated the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, and the day before that, Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Even though today is Ember Wednesday, there's still a little bit of penitentialness in this third week of Advent. It is still the third week of Advent, Gaudete week. So what else is there to say except rejoice? Again, I say rejoice. Today, we're going to be going through the O Antiphons and this thousand-year-old tradition that me and my family just recently discovered is something really special. We'll look at its history We'll look at the verses, which are prophecies about the Messiah from the Old Testament, and a few bookends from the New Testament as well. And I'm getting this episode out a little bit early in the hopes that you might be able to take some of these verses and maybe decorate your home with them, or maybe include some of the chant that I'm going to share with you in this episode with your family, maybe before you go to work in the morning or over the weekend. Or when you come back from work and you just need to wash your mind to clean the day's affairs. So we're going to have some fun. Also, we will start off the episode by diving into the gospel from this past Sunday. We'll look at what St. Thomas Aquinas and the Saints have to say by checking out the Catena Aurea. And, well... Because it's the third week of Advent, I figured not only would I put out the audio for this, but I will try my hand at doing it in video format. So for those of you that are listening on Spotify or on iTunes, you can hop over to the Latin Prayer Podcast YouTube page and watch this video in addition to listening to it. So I'm excited. I did say that on our Patreon page, when we hit 50 subscribers, I would move over to YouTube full-time. But in typical me fashion, I like to do things well, and that takes practice. And I figured, you know, what better way than to start right now? Why wait till we're there, right? So join me on this episode. I'm looking forward to diving into the O antiphons. But first, let's check out the Holy Gospel. So this gospel is from St. John. This is chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. At that time, the Jews sent from Jerusalem priests and Levites to John to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then, art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou the prophet? And he answered, No. They said therefore unto him, Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they that were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, Why then dost thou baptize, if thou be not Christ, nor Elias, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there hath stood one in the midst of you, whom you know not. The same is he that shall come after me, who is preferred before me, the latchet of whose shoe I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethania, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. 
Laus tibi Christe, in omni patris et filii et spiritu sancti. Amen. So when we look at this gospel, it's fascinating. I don't want to spend too much time with commentary and going through the katena. And because I'm testing out this YouTube interface, I just took the snippets from the katena. I'm going to put them up on the screen. But there's basically three things that I want to cover with regards to this gospel that escaped me originally until I had read it in the katena and maybe might have escaped you as well. So we're going to take a look at these one by one. So let's take a look at the first one here. So there's three main things that we can take from this particular gospel about St. John and about our Lord. The first thing is John doesn't confirm explicitly who he is. He denies every accusation they made against him about who he is. They ask him, are you Elijah? Are you the Christ? Are you a prophet? And he says no, but he responds to them by giving them the prophecy of Isaiah. These are the best of the best of the Jews, the priests and the Levites. So when he gives them this line from Isaiah, not only do they know that line, but they know everything that came before that line and everything that came after that line. And that prophecy concerns the Messiah. He's confirming who he is and basically terrifying them by saying the Messiah is here right now. He's in your midst and I am the forerunner. What's perplexing about this is because that role seems to be the role of Elijah. He seems to be acting in that role. He's denying that he is Elijah. And elsewhere in the gospel, our Lord confirms that there is an Elijah-ness about St. John. He explicitly says when his disciples ask him, is he Elijah? And he says, well, if you will believe it, yes. So let's try to unpack how is it that St. John could contradict our Lord by saying he's not Elijah when our Lord says that he is. And we're going to go to the Catena because it's contained in this passage that the saints refer to it. So let's see what St. Gregory has to say. But if we examine the truth accurately, that which sounds inconsistent will be found not really so. The angel told Zacharias concerning John, he shall go before him meaning our Lord Jesus Christ, in the spirit and power of Elias. By the way, Elias, Elijah, it's the same person. As Elias then will preach the second advent of our Lord, so John preached his first. As the former, meaning Elias, will come as the precursor of the judge, meaning our Lord Jesus Christ, so the latter meaning St. John, was made the precursor of the Redeemer. John was Elias in spirit, not in person. And what our Lord affirms of the spirit, John denies of the person, there being a kind of poetry in this, that our Lord to his disciples should speak spiritually of John, and that John, in answering the carnal multitude, should speak of his body, not of his spirit. End quote. Isn't that fascinating? So there isn't an inconsistency. St. John the Baptist went as the precursor to the Redeemer, the Christ child who came to redeem the world, right? Who was born to die and to wake the dead. St. John preached his first advent. And Elijah, or Elias, who was taken up into heaven, 
will come again because that we know was prophesied to happen. He will come. He didn't die. He was taken up and he will come as the precursor to the judge when our Lord Jesus Christ will return in his second advent, which we're meditating on through this season of Advent, his second coming, when he will judge at the end of time all men and women. Now, the second really cool golden nugget here is hidden within St. John talking about the unlatching of our Lord's shoe because there's three hidden things, hidden meanings behind this. And so we'll very quickly go through all three of them. The first one is the most obvious one where he is basically saying that he is the lowest of servants and therefore he's not even worthy to touch our Lord's feet. And we get this confirmed take a look here, by St. Chrysostom. And he says, But lest you should think this to be the result of compromise, he immediately shows it to be superiority beyond all comparison. Meaning, our Lord Jesus Christ is far more superior than St. John. Whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. As if he said, He is so much before me that I am unworthy to be numbered among the lowest of his attendants. The unloosing of the sandal being the very lowest kind of service, end quote. St. Augustine seems to confirm this as well when he says, to have pronounced himself worthy even of unloosing his shoes latchet, he would have been thinking too much of himself. Isn't that really, really cool? So that's kind of the first understanding. The second understanding actually goes back to the Old Testament to a traditional custom. And this custom had to do with a bride who had lost her husband, and the next of kin would have to become her husband. But if the next of kin was not able to become the husband of this bride, then the next person in line would go to the next of kin and would have to unlatch their shoe to be able to wed this bride. And we see that fulfilled in the story of Ruth. And if you remember the story about Ruth and Boaz, Ruth had lost her husband. She was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And she went to Boaz, and Boaz understood that the next of kin of Ruth's former husband had to become her husband. But this person wasn't willing to do that. And so Boaz would have to go and unlatch the shoe of this next of kin. And in doing so, the right then became his to marry Ruth. And if any discrepancy came up over whose wife Ruth would then be, he would show the shoe as a sign that I have the authority to marry this or to wed this woman. And so what St. John is doing here is he's saying that, you know, you're claiming that I'm the Messiah. You're making it seem like I am supposed to be the spouse of his bride, the church. And this is seen and explained by St. Gregory, as we'll read here. Quote, or thus, it was the law of the old dispensation that if a man refused to take the woman who of right came to him to wife, he who by right of relationship came next to be the husband should unloose his shoe. That's what I just explained. Now, in what character did Christ appear in the world but as the spouse of the Holy Church? John then very properly pronounced himself unworthy to unloose this shoe's latchet, as if he said, I cannot uncover the feet of the Redeemer 
For I claim not the title of spouse or husband, which I have no right to. Isn't that fascinating? That is amazing that St. John would see this and would speak in this analogous way or in this, in this Old Testament way so that the Pharisees and the priests and Levites would understand what he was saying perfectly. They would have totally understood this in the unlatching of the shoe, that really the people of Jerusalem, these, the people of Israel, right? This, this group of people were the spouse of the bridegroom and the bridegroom being Jesus Christ. And he cannot unlatch the shoe as if to make himself the spouse, because that right belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Now, the third meaning, we'll just continue on with what St. Gregory had to say about this, is another fascinating take. Or the passage may be explained in another way. We know that shoes are made out of dead animals. Our Lord then, when he came in the flesh, put on, as it were, shoes, because his divinity he took the flesh of our corruption. In his divinity he took the flesh of our corruption, wherein we had of ourselves perished. And the latchet of the shoe is the seal upon the mystery. John is not able to unloose the shoe's latchet. For example, even he cannot penetrate into the mystery of the Incarnation. So he seems to say, What wonder that he, Jesus Christ, is preferred before me, whom, being born after me, I contemplate, yet the mystery of whose birth I comprehend not. This is incredible. Right? So you have these three different meanings hidden within this small little passage, right? These few lines where we see St. John conversing with the priests and the Levites. And it just goes to show you how incredibly humble this man is, his knowledge and understanding of the scriptures, and who Christ is in his divinity, not just in his humanity. And it just, again, ratifies why St. John, in last week's gospel, in no way, shape, or form could have lost his faith. He understood his entire mission beginning to end, and he proves that he understands it completely and most beautifully in these texts. And the church fathers, thank goodness, the saints, and St. Thomas Aquinas, in compiling all of this, reveal that to us as well. So, I think that's a good segue to be able to jump into the O Antiphons. And so, let's dive into their history and let's look at where they come from. Let's look at the passages of the Old Testament and the New Testament and let's listen to some of the chant. I won't go through all of the chant because there's far too many of them to go every single one, but I'd like to go through a few of them and I will put all the links in the show notes so that when you want to do your own research and you want to pick out some of these verses, you can go straight to the link, you can listen to the chant, you can look at the verses, and then you can do that yourself. So, let's dive into that. So I was thinking, most of us have probably heard of the lines from the O Antiphons, even though we didn't know that's what we were hearing, because most of us have heard the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And all of the titles that are the O Antiphons are actually in that hymn. 
even if we don't know the rest of the verses, we at least all know the very first one, which is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. If we look at the definition of what an antiphon actually is, it's a short sentence that is sung or recited before or after a psalm, and it's usually done in a musical setting. It would make sense that the O antiphons are part of the Catholic Latin tradition of the Vespers that are done from the breviary. I think the first mention of them in writing is from the 6th century by Boethius, and I believe the text that he was referring to, I think is, I might have it here. Yes, it's the Consolation of Philosophy. So that's the 6th century. That's, so that's probably where or when these originated, although they might be from, if you really want to be honest about this, this, this originated in the Old Testament from the, the, the prophets of Isaiah and Micah. And so let's hop over to my favorite resource, my favorite website, which is fisheaters.com. You heard it correctly, fisheaters.com. And I'm going to show you how to navigate to find this writing on the O antiphons. And for those of you that are just listening on iTunes or on Spotify right now, you could hop over to our YouTube channel later. And so why don't we just do that here? Let's just go right over. So if you go to www.fisheaters.com, this is what you're going to see. There's three main sections. The first one says being Catholic, then it says for Catholic, and then it says for Protestants. This website is very, very well put together. Very, very well put together. And so I want to give them credit. And where we're going to navigate to is we're going to click on the first link, which says being Catholic. And you'll see there's tons, literally tons of information here. And each one of these has even more in it. So we're going to go over to the right side, which says sacred time. And the second link says seasonal customs, Advent, Christmas, Septuagesima, Lent, Easter, etc. So we click on that second link, seasonal customs. It brings us to another set of links. So here we are. The first part here says Advent, and if you scroll down, you're going to go to the very bottom, and it says the Golden Knights O Antiphon. So if we click on that, boom, it'll take us to the page. I will have this specific link to the O Antiphons page from Fish Eaters in the show notes below, so you don't need to do this, but if you wanted to check out everything else that Fish Eaters has to offer, well, there you go. Now you know how to navigate, and there is a plethora of information on here. So let's see what Fish Eaters has put together for us, okay? The seven O antiphons, also called the greater antiphons or the major antiphons, are prayers that come from the breviary's vespers during the octave before Christmas Eve, a time which is called the Golden Nights. Each antiphon begins with O and addresses Jesus with a unique title which comes from the prophecies of Isaiah and Micaeus, or Micah, whose initials, the initials of the antiphons, when you read them backwards, form an acrostic for the Latin erocras, which means, tomorrow I come. And the titles for Christ are Sapientia, Adonai, Radix Iesi, Clavis David, Oriens, Rex Gentium, and Emmanuel. So each one of those is a Latin word that means something. Sapentia means wisdom. Adonai, the Lord of Israel. Radix, Jesse, the root of Jesse. Clavis, David, the key of David. Oriens should make you think of the day spring or the dawn. Rex, Gentium 
should make you think of Rex, the king of the Gentiles, and Emmanuel, which we all know means God with us. So we're going to go through these titles, and we're going to look at the prophecies that are attached to them. And then if we scroll down further, we're actually going to see that for every one of these, for every day, there is a chant that is associated. Because again, this was done in a musical setting. You'll be able to listen to each one of these, and that's just brilliant. And then there's readings that are attached to them for each day. Like, there's so much here. So rather than trying to go through all of this day by day, which would... I might do it. Might do it. It might be a bit of work for me to, to be able to pull all of this off together. But I would, at the very least, want to just give you this resource because it is just too good not to share with you and you can go through every one of these and you can do this with your families and in your homes with your children you could read the reading you could listen to the chant uh, and you could take this title and you can you know have everyone for each one of these days it's a beautiful beautiful ancient tradition so why not do it so let's take a look at each one of these so the first one is sapentia which is wisdom so the two prophetic verses are from the Old Testament, both from Isaiah, one from chapter 11, the other from chapter 28. And the first one goes, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of fortitude, the spirit of knowledge and of godliness. And he shall be filled with the spirit of fear of the Lord. He shall not judge according to the sight of the eyes, nor reprove according to the hearing of the ears. The second one is from Isaiah 28. This also come forth from the Lord God of hosts to make his counsel wonderful and magnify justice. So both of these Old Testament prophecies speak of the wisdom of God, is his eternal wisdom. And also just as a side note, there's a reason why one of our Blessed Mother's titles, Mary, is called the seat of wisdom because she literally was the seat in which wisdom sat. Isn't that crazy? That's pretty cool. Okay, moving on to the second title, Adonai, the Lord of Israel. An old, old title for our God, Adonai. All the way back into Exodus and from before that, Adonai. These are both from Isaiah as well. Isaiah chapter 11 and Isaiah chapter 33. So the first one from chapter 11. But he shall judge the poor with justice and shall reprove with equity the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked, and justice shall be the girdle of his loins, and faith the girdle of his reins. And then chapter 33 says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. These prophecies of God in his might and in his power. He is the Lord of Israel. This is this mighty God that you do not go up against and win. You will always, always lose. Now, we move on to the root of Jesse. There's quite a few here. There's three from the Old Testament and two from the New Testament that all point to Christ and they all connect. So Isaiah chapter 11, and there shall come forth a rod out of the root of Jesse and a flower shall rise up out of his root. So you'll remember, who is Jesse? Jesse is the father of David, right? And then Isaiah chapter 11, In that day the root of Jesse, who standeth for the sin of the people, him the Gentiles shall beseech, and his sepulcher shall be glorious. And then we have one from Micah. 
Now shalt thou be laid waste, O daughter of the robber. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they shall strike the cheek of the judge of Israel. Think about the imagery that's being put forth here. The rod that strikes the cheek of the judge of Israel. This is happening hundreds of years before Christ is there. And yet they are pointing to exactly what is going to happen to the Redeemer. Exactly what's going to happen to our Lord. And then from Romans. This is a letter of St. Paul, chapter 15. For I say that Christ Jesus was minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. But made unto the fathers, excuse me. But that the Gentiles are to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will confess to thee, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and I will sing to thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and magnify him, all ye people. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise up to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope and in the power of the Holy Ghost. So again, we see this root of Jesse being mentioned again. And now from the apocalypse. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and without, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man was able, neither in heaven, nor on earth, nor under the earth, to open the book, nor to look on it. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open the book, nor to see it. And one of the ancients said to me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. So, when we see all of this imagery here about the root of Jesse, who is from the line of David, the Messiah, and he is to come, and he is to be this ensign of the people to the Gentiles. Out of the root of Jesse, a flower shall rise up out of his root. When we see St. Paul talking about the root of Jesse and how he is to preach to the Gentiles, and in the Apocalypse, we see this again, this root, and they talk about the Davidic line. Right? Only he prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. It's amazing how this imagery, all the way from the old, penetrates into the new. And the new is revealed in the old. When we see both of these in context, we see that our Lord, the Messiah, had to come from Jesse through David's line. He would not just be the Messiah of the Jewish people, but he would be a Messiah to all the world. He would save all of us from our sins. Let's go to Clavis David, or the key of David. So we have two from Isaiah here. And I will lay the key of the house of David upon his shoulder, and he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. And then Isaiah chapter 9. For a child is born to us, and a son is given to us, and the government is upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, God the Mighty, the Father of the world to come, the Prince of Peace. 
oh my goodness, just again, beautiful imagery here. Now, if you remember about the Davidic kingdom, you know, the person that would open and would shut the gates, that person who held the key, all business, everything that happened inside of that kingdom, there was a a person that ran the government. Originally, this was Joseph in Pharaoh's time, and he had the keys. When we talk about the Davidic kingdom, David had appointed these keys to this prime minister, so to speak, or to this person who it was the reason that he would open the gates at the beginning of the day and business would, would begin and the entire city would run and nothing happened without him knowing. And then at the end of the day, he would shut the gates and then everything stopped and died down until the next day. And so when it says here, I will lay the key of the house of David upon his shoulder or when he says the child is born to us, the son is given to us and the government is upon his shoulder, it means that everything happens because of him. And nothing escapes his gaze. All things happen because it is happening through his power, through his authority. The Messiah has this about him. Then we have the dawn or the day spring or the, the radiant Orients. We have two here. This next one is from Isaiah chapter 9. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. To them that dwelt in the region of the shadow of death, light is risen. You've probably heard that many times before. And then we have another one from Malachi, this chapter 4. For behold, the day shall come kindled as a furnace, and all the proud, all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall set them on fire, saith the Lord of hosts. It shall not leave them root nor branch, but unto you that fear my name. The sun of justice shall rise, and health in his wings, and you shall go forth, and shall leap like calves of the herd, and you shall tread down the wicked, when they shall be ashes under the sole of your feet. In the day that I do this, saith the Lord of hosts. This imagery of the radiant dawn, or the day spring, is probably one of the most fitting and maybe my favorite for the season of Advent. Because every time I think of this final judgment, the second coming of our Lord, it is this blinding light whom the elect are purified to the point where they're able to gaze at it and not be burned they're able to stare right into it and they can see God face to face. They could see him in that light. And those that are fallen or the damned, they can't stand it. Any spot upon them begins to burn. It's just like this clear glass with a blemish on it. The sun is so powerful that eventually that blemish that spot will begin to burn and it'll crack the glass. It needs to be absolutely pure for it to have its light shine through. To see this radiant dawn, this day spring, you have imagery and poetry. It's always darkest before dawn. You know, and we wait for the daybreak and we watch. It, there is something so comforting about light and fire that even on the coldest of nights, if you light a fire, it just brings warmth into you. 
it sets you alive. It keeps you alive. And there is no more fitting image in nature than warmth and light and fire and the sun for who the Messiah is. So the last two here we have Rex Gentium, the king of all nations, the king of the Gentiles. We have Isaiah and Isaiah again here. His empire shall be multiplied and there shall be no end of peace. He shall sit upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it and strengthen it with judgment and with justice. From henceforth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then Isaiah 2. He shall judge the Gentiles and rebuke many people, and they shall turn their swords into plowshares and their spears into sickles. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they be exercised any more to war. And what a promise for the last day. You know, just could you imagine it? This declare victory and everything around you erupts with joy and shouts of we finally won. It's over. There is no more war. There is no more pain. The king has come. Here is our king. This Rex Gentium, the king of all nations, is here. There is no more division, no more strife. And Isaiah was prophesying this way back when, right? And then finally, Emmanuel, this culmination, this God with us. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. So there you have it. These seven titles, Sapentia Adonai, Radix Jesse, Clavis David, Oriens Rex Gentium, Emmanuel. And when you read it backwards, Ero Kras, tomorrow I come. So I want to share with you here just very briefly. There's a lot more in this. So it says here, below the antiphons are in both English and Latin. One is prayed each evening at Vespers time around sunset, and families can make up their own ceremonies using the antiphons and scripture by singing or listening to sacred music, especially O Come, Emmanuel, see below, adding to their Jesse trees. Whatever you do, set the scene as you should with all Catholic family devotions. Burn incense, lower the lights, light candles, use sacred music at appropriate times, meaningful symbols, etc. So to pray the O Antiphons as they are prayed in the Divine Office, begin with the Antiphon, then pray the Magnificat, which is included below, and then repeat the Antiphon. It would be wonderful if perhaps one parent can chant or at least read the Antiphons in Latin, with the second parent reading them in the vernacular afterwards. Another option is to add the Christmas Novena that incorporates the O Antiphons, Note that this novena begins on December 16th. So that's the day before. And we might talk about this just at the end. But I want to give you just a taste of what this chant sounds like, how beautiful it is, and how you can include this in these last seven days as we lead up to the coming of our Lord at Christmas. So take a listen. This is December 17th, O Sapentia.
go. So that's Sapientia. We look at December 18th, Radix Yesi. We'll do one more. Jesse. So, yeah, if we go through all the way to the very bottom, the chant is there right to the very end, right to December 23rd, and then included is the Magnificat. So you do the antiphon, the Magnificat, and the antiphon again, and then there's readings on the O antiphon. So this is even just for, to increase your own personal devotion. If you did want to go through each one of these, you can spend some time, print these out, and have them and follow along day by day. There is no better way than to prepare you internally, prepare your heart for the coming of our Lord, than to dive headfirst into these rich, deep traditions of the church, these ancient traditions that who knows how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of souls before have, have, have prayed these prayers and have sung these hymns. And it's, I think, really glorious to imagine just our voices with theirs echoing this ancient song this calling to our lords to come and to be with us and to free us from the all of our miseries here all of our difficulties all of our strife we pray come lord jesus come and so i think the last thing that i'll do here is just to click on this link and take a look at the, where is it here? Christmas Novena, let's pull that up. So, to wrap up this episode on the O Antiphons, the last thing we'll do is we'll take a look at the Christmas Novena. Now, this isn't the traditional Christmas Novena, the St. Andrew Novena, which I put the link in the show notes to this. This is a different one that begins December 16th. And what I'm going to do is release an episode for every single day from December 16th all the way up to December 23rd with this particular novena because it is done every single day and every day is different. So I just want to share this with you. This is the second Christmas novena. And again, you can find it here on the Fish Eaters website. But again, I will be doing this from December 16th all the way to December 24th. And this is its basic structure. There is an our Father, a Hail Mary, and a Glory Be for each one of these verses that is said, and it correlates with the O Antiphon. So just like they say here, 
Say this novena beginning on the 16th of December and ending on the 24th, this novena, though it starts one day earlier than the O antiphons, correlates with the O antiphons in the titles used to address Jesus between the 17th and the 24th of December. It would therefore make a good novena to pray when your family prays the O antiphons. So you can see here, all the way, there is a verse. There is a recite, one Our Father, one Hail Mary, one Glory Be. Then there's a verse on the 17th, one Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, all the way to the 24th. And that would bring it to its conclusion. And so my plan is to do one of these every single day, all the way up to the 24th of December. And then I'll wish you all a very Merry Christmas on that day. And probably I may take a break between Christmas and New Year's. But we'll definitely come back for the epiphany. Well, there you have it, folks. Brings us to the conclusion of another episode. Thank you for joining me this week. I really appreciate your attention and your time. It's been an amazing six months, and I'm really looking forward to 2023 and doubling and tripling down and taking this to a whole other level. As we always finish up, I want to thank all of the people that are praying the rosary with us every single day. Remember that Pope St. Pius X said that if we had one million families praying the rosary every single day, the entire world would be saved. I put all of the links to the rosary down in the show notes, so please be sure to check those out. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a comment or on iTunes or on Spotify. Share the podcast with your family members and friends, especially over this remaining season of Advent and into the Christmas season. It's the easiest free way to support the podcast. And if you can do that on our YouTube page as well, now that I've got that up and running, I would love for you to do that. Leave me a comment on there if you liked this particular video or I'm totally open to constructive criticism. Like I said earlier, I think it can only get better from here. So I appreciate your patience and all of your love and all of your support. I especially want to thank our patrons because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be able to do this right now. I would not be able to share this with you. I would not be able to make a video even. And so to all of those 15 people, I'm going to put their names up on the screen. I want you to join me in thanking them and praying for them this Advent and throughout the Christmas season, especially for them and their intentions and their family members. So let us begin. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos et dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationum, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesus, Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. So until our next episode, which will launch December 16th, beginning Christmas Novena number two, may God love you. May Our Lady keep you close to her Immaculate Heart, and may she lead you into the abode of the Sacred Heart of her Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God love you. Take care.